Honest, real, raw, true conversation and prayer with God. down into the water and when you do the old person dies you come up out of the water as a new creation of Jesus Christ Hey, welcome to Church Experience. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us. Now is a great time to grab your weeklies and head to your seats if you haven't already because the service starts in 90 seconds. I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free. Oh, yeah. He wants to set you free. with him grow in your walk with him get closer to him spend more time with him because he's better if you want your life to get better then get around the one who is better get around jesus get around the one who has power to change and transform your life get around the one who has the perfect grace for you and the perfect love for you and the perfect joy for your soul listen he is better
Welcome, CE family. I can't wait to see how God is going to work through today's service. When you're in the service, if you have any questions, comments, prayer requests, go to churchexperience.tv connect, or you can pull out your camera app and scan this QR code. Or if you've always wanted to stay connected with us at CE, just hit that subscribe button below. We love to hear from you, get back to you, and be praying for you, CE family. We're ready to jump into today's service. Would you stand with me as we spend some time worshiping Jesus by singing to Him?
Heavenly Father, I pray to you today, asking, Lord, that those who do not know you will come to know you as their Lord Almighty. God, you reign over all things. Your love is endless. Father, and I just pray that those who don't know your love will feel your love. God, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for what you do for us and for who you are. And it's in your heavenly name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Welcome to 2023. Let's go. My name is Warren Blackbeard, and it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to welcome you to 2023. What an amazing time. I really hope you've, you had a great 2022 and you, you're looking forward to 2023. Uh, the, the message title is Let's Go. And I love that because, you know, when Tom Brady comes out on the field with the Buccaneers and with the Patriots, he would run into the opposite side of the field and he would go in the corner and he would shout out, Let's go. Let's go. And I was going to do that this morning. I was going to run out on the stage and, and maybe in all the gear and run out and shout out, let's go. But I thought that could be quite awkward because, well, it'd be awkward if I'm trying to do a sermon in, in the whole gear that the, the NFL players wear. But also to be a bit awkward, you wouldn't pay attention to me if I'm dressed like that. But at the same time, I'm going to shout out, let's go. I really hope that you guys had an awesome 2022 and I'm expectant and encouraged by see what God's going to do in 2023. Now, I love the Buccaneers. I love them. They are my team. I live in Tampa. And so they are my team. And they always will be my team. As long as I live in Tampa Bay, they are going to be my team. With or without Brady, whether they win or they lose, that is how I always have been. When I lived in Johannesburg, my local team was in Johannesburg. And so I will always support the, the Buccaneers. Always. And the cool thing is, is the Buccaneers a few years ago were world champions. It's a great time. They celebrated. That's awesome. You should be proud of the fact that you are world champions. The, the most popular sport in South Africa, a very popular sport, is rugby. And rugby, we, we also, our, our, our national team is called the Springboks. And in 2019, we play the World Cup every four years. And so the last one was in 2019, and the Springboks won it. And so we are world champions. 
The only difference is, now, now understand this with me. I know it might be a bit hard, but when we say we are world champions, we actually played against the rest of the world. Now, now I know in, with NFL, I love, I love American sports. We're going to create a sport that only we will play, and we'll call ourselves world champions because no one else is playing it. I love it. Own it. That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. But we're also world champions, and we played the rest of the world. I always joke about this with, with local people. They're like, oh, I never thought of it that way before. But yes, we played other countries. And so we were building up to, to play. And the first game we were playing was against uh, the New Zealand All Blacks. They had won the, the subsequent two World Cups. So they had been twice the World Champions before. The four years prior and the four years prior to that. And so there was a lot of hype going into it. They thought, we, if we win this, things are going well. And we lost. We lost the first game. And everyone's going, well, that doesn't go according to script. How does that work? But basically what that meant was after that, we had to literally win every game. And we did. We did. We get to the final against the English. And, and um, the English got there because they beat the All Blacks in the semifinal. So everyone thought the All Blacks are going to, the, the, the English are going to win because they beat the All Blacks. Everyone thought, South Africa, you did better than you thought. You got to the final. No one thought you'd get to the final. Everyone thought, okay, well, you've done well. You should be proud of yourselves. But this is England's. They're much better. And we dominated them. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see. And it really started. With this, with this part of the game in, rug, in rugby called the scrum. And the scrum. Here's a picture of the scrum actually from the World Cup final in 2019. The, the, the Springboks is, are in the green and gold and the English are in white. And I love it. It's, a, it's, a, it's the eight forwards from each team and they push together and the ball goes in and whoever gets the ball. And it's a lovely thing. I was, a, I was in the scrum when I played rugby. I was the guy right in the middle there. Lock. It was amazing. I loved being part of it. And there's, you're close with your mates and you... The, the, the eight of you are trying to push in unison against, against an opposing force. And in a lot of ways, this is a very dangerous part of the game. They say that there's, it's 13,000 newtons of force that's generated from a scrum. It's the same amount of force that if you get hit by a car at 30 miles an hour. That is the amount of force in it. So it's a huge amount of force. They did this experiment where just a local provincial team in England pushed against a, a Formula One car and was actually pushing it back when the guy was driving towards them. That is the amount of force. I love a scrum afterwards. And we dominated the, the final because of our scrum. It was such a, a bedrock of the rest of the game. And I love it. I love it. What does that have to do with my message this morning? Well, I don't know. Maybe everything, maybe nothing. You can decide. But usually this time of year, we reflect on what happened last year. We reflect, was 2022 a good year? Was it not? Did I, how was it? Am I proud of what happened? Am I not proud? But I want to tell you right on, off the bat is that life is not measured in time. It's measured in moments. It's measured in moments, friends. It's measured in moments. Maybe you're reflecting around last year, and maybe you can remember some of the times, and you remember those times because of the moments that were part of it. Maybe good moments, maybe bad moments. Maybe it was a high of the year, maybe it was a low, and you wish you could take that moment back. But you remember those moments. I remember the moment where we got onto a plane, and, and I left Johannesburg, the only city I'd ever really called home my whole life, leave Johannesburg to fly to Tampa with our two bags and our two boys and my wife, the four of us. That was a big moment. I remember landing and we were like, wow, okay, there's no return ticket. Usually when we, when we come visiting to America, there was a return ticket. Now there's no return ticket. That was a big moment. That was a high moment. I remember celebrating my 40th birthday. That was, I suppose, a high and a low moment at the same time. Wow, like, Ooh, I'm 40. I'm going to start adulting now. But at the same time, I was like, wow, I'm 40. I'm getting old. So maybe you could have moments that are both. I remember the low moments as well. Remember the time when Jen and I were just sitting at that dining room table over lunch, just crying, just, just being just so overwhelmed by what was in front of us, by what we left behind, and, and really just trying to take it all in. Like, wow, okay, are we really doing this? I remember those moments. I remember the first moment I sat on the stage sharing a message. That was a high moment for me. Wonderful. So you have these high moments, you have these low moments. I remember the first time we met in our home as a launch gathering, a launch team gathering. What a high moment. It was a, a beautiful time. And it's been amazing to see what God has been doing in all of the time that we've been in, the eight months we've been, been here. What a privilege it's been to be here. What a privilege. And so we're going to be talking about a big moment in Scripture, a big miracle. This is a big miracle. We know it's a big miracle because of, of, of everyone that was involved in it. We know it's a big miracle because it's the only miracle in the whole of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only miracle other than the resurrection that, that is recorded in all four Gospels. I, I love it. That just shows the significance of this, 
miracle. And, and even though I encourage you to all read all different ones because you get something different, something unique from each one, right? I'll give you an example. So, so Matthew and Luke focus on the miracle itself. Mark focuses on the compassion that Jesus had towards the people. And John focuses on the historical significance. And so you've probably heard this story. Maybe this is a, you, you've never gone to church, but you're watching this online. Maybe you grew up in church. You've heard about the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it. You, if you grew up in church, you probably have done some coloring in pages about Jesus and the, and the five loaves of bread. Maybe, maybe you did a school play where you were a loaf and you're running around there, which is, must be really awkward. But, but you probably know the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, I want to set the scene. Now, this is at a time where, where the heat is on with Jesus. A lot of people wanted him dead because of what he's been doing, the, the miracles he's been doing, the, everything that he's been. So a lot of people really wanted to, to see him kind of get forgotten. And so he's up in the rural parts because he didn't want to go to the big cities. He just heard that his cousin John the Baptist had died the most horrific death. And so he knows the heat is on. And he's trying to escape. He's trying to just have some time by himself with God, with the disciples. He knows that his time on earth isn't much longer. He knows that he wants to spend time with his disciples to really plow into what the disciples are doing. And, and really, but, but at the same time, so he's, he's trying to recharge. You know, when life is busy, he's got these demanding crowds with him all the time. He's probably physically and emotionally and spiritually drained just from all the stuff. It's what people that are wanting his attention, wanting the healing. So he's tired. He wants to be refreshed. You know what it's like? You go on holiday and holidays are full and busy. And then you want to have a holiday after your holiday. You know, like when you're just tired. I just need to be refreshed, recharged. That's where we find ourselves in this. His fame was spreading like wildfire because of what he's been doing, the, the authority that he was speaking with, the miracle that he was doing. And so he was popular. It was over the Passover time. And so it really heightened his significance there and people wanting lots from him. But he was tired. And, and, and he goes to the other side and there's this, the crowd follow him and there's this organized chaos. Now, I encourage you to read it from all four scriptures so you can see different parts of what they're focusing on. But we're going to be reading from John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. It said, sometime after this, they say about five, six months to a year after John chapter 5. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the shore, the far, sh uh, the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He, he asked us only to test him, for he already knew what he had in mind, what he was going to do. Philip answered him, oh, to take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Then another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will it go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. There was about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, they said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Leave nothing to be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Don't you love that miracle? I love just the, the scale of it, but I also love how personal it is, that Jesus was sharing a meal with these people. I, I love it. And so we are going to unpack it, but, but I really want to start. How do we unpack this? Well, I want to start off with a video. A caring man took a walk. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high. Hope dwindled. Hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. I'll bring them together and feed them. Around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. Shared struggles. Shared joy. Shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion.
So Jesus is inviting us to have a seat at the table with him. Isn't that an amazing picture? He's inviting. He's inviting you, and he's inviting me to have a seat at his table. Come hang out. Come, come have a seat with me, Warren. Come have a seat with me. I, I want to just get to know you a bit better. I want to share a meal with you. And so he's inviting us to the table. I love it. And so we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, this big miracle that we've just read about. And we're going to look at it from the different aspects. And the first people that I want to focus on is the crowd. Now, the crowd, it says in, in the Scripture that they were following Jesus because of the healing that he was doing. And so they were really after their own self-interest, let's be honest. They, 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 they really wanted to be healed. They didn't really want to spend time with Jesus at the table, but they wanted to be healed by him. They didn't want him. They wanted what he can give them. It's the same thing. We, we, this time of year, we maybe have New Year's resolutions or we have things that's like, Lord, this is what I would like for you to do. This is what you need to answer me. This is, this is what you can do for me. And if you don't do it for me, well, then I'm going to go try something else. Then I'm going to leave the church. Then I'm going to get offended with people. Whatever the case is, a lot of us come to that attitude when we come to the table with them. We come to the table and then we, 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 this, is what we can, this is what you need to do for us, Lord. If you don't do this for us, well, then, then I'm out. And it's sad. This is, this, is the, this is how it was with this crowd. I don't want to have a seat. If you can do curbside pickup, if we can do Uber Eats, that would be great. If we can order ahead of time, Lord, if I can order ahead of time and then just come and collect what I need to collect, oh, that, that would be great because I don't have time to sit with you at the table. I don't really want to sit with you at the table. Now, we are, we are busy going to launch church experience in the Tampa area, and we are super excited. And this, if I think of this crowd, they were really after the healing that Jesus was doing. I remember once, that is one way to, to fill a, a room. You know, if you say we're going to do healing, that's how you fill a room. Because people are desperate for healing. They want to be healed. They, wanna, they want Jesus to fix them. Whatever they've got, they want Jesus to fix them so they can go on their merry way. I remember once in Johannesburg, I was driving down the highway, and there was a big billboard there. And it was a, a miracle and healing event. One night only. You know, for a couple hours, and there was, it was a tick, you had to purchase a ticket to go there, and there was general admission, then there was a VIP package, and then there was a VVIP package, and I'm going, what? What is this? This is crazy. I'm thinking, what? first of all, how do you know that Jesus is going to show up? How do you know that God's going to show up? And at the same time, how do you know he's going to heal people between 6 and 9 p.m., whatever time it was? It's far too often. We, we come to him and we say, you need to fix us. Fix me, and then we go. And we, we, we want what, what Jesus can bless us with, but we don't want to have a seat at the table with him. We don't want to sit here with him. We don't want to sit here and just, just hang out. Right? It's, 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 if you can, you know, we, we sit here with him, and, and maybe we sit here and we say, well, you know, this chair's a bit uncomfortable. Is, is there a cushion that I can maybe use? Uh, is there a, a bit of a quieter table because, well, it's a bit noisy around here? You know, we, we sit here, if we come with that attitude, we, we, we maybe, is there a special menu? Uh, I don't want to wait too long. I don't know what the chef is like today. And so we, we want to sit at the table, but we, we, we actually, we want to dictate how we're going to sit at the table, isn't it? We, we sometimes do that. We, we sit here and we just, well, if we can hurry this up, that would be great. Because I don't have all night. I don't want to sit and connect with him. I, I, I just want what he can give us. I don't, I don't want God. I want the stuff that he can give us. And that is a danger, friends. If, if we come in with that attitude while we sit at the table, we get what we get and we, and we move on. And there's a danger, especially as we, as we come into how we're going to, you know, focus on the year ahead and how there's excitement. And all. If we come with that attitude and say, Lord, this is what I would like from you, there's a danger. If, if, any, if a church that you go to talks about a miracle and healing event, run, run as fast as you can. Now, I'm not saying that that stuff's not great. I love it. I love it when God heals. I love the miracles. I've seen so many miracles while I'm here. But, but friends, that is never the focus. It can never be the focus. The focus must always be having a seat at the table, connecting with Jesus. That must always be the focus. If the focus is on what he can do for me, then we've missed it. We've missed it. Because we're so too focused on, on, on what he can give us rather than just spending time with him. Just spending time with him. We lose, we lose this because of, of what we, we, this is what I want and let's move on. Now, at the same time, they said that there was 5,000 men were there. They only counted men. Thankfully now, we count everyone. And so most estimates at the time, if they say 5,000 men, they say there's about 20 to 25,000 people there, men, women, children, so it's a lot. Now, 20,000 people think of uh, Amelia Stadium in downtown Tampa where the lightning play. If that's full to capacity, there's 20,000 people. That's a lot of people. 
So it's a lot of, a, a huge crowd following him. And so every time I chuckle to myself when it says Jesus feeds the 5,000, I'm like, no, <laughs> we should edit that out. It's, he fed so much more than that. There was a huge crowd that was following him. Now we might, we might go there. We might sit there and, and, and demand all this stuff from him. We might demand all this stuff from him. But you know that it says in the other scripture that Jesus looked at this crowd that was following him from around the, the Sea of Galilee. They were, they were coming to spend time with him. And he saw it. And in the other gospel, it says that he had deep compassion for them because it looked like they were, they were sheep without a shepherd. And she had this compassion for them. Even it look, I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep. I, I don't know about you, but, but I don't want to be known as a sheep. There, um, there's other animals that I want to be known as. But yet in, the, in Scripture, when you think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, we, we kind of are sheep. And sheep are not the most intelligent animals. They kind of get lost easy. They kind of do their own thing. They need a shepherd. And so he looked at this crowd and he had deep compassion for them because he, he could sense that they were sheep without a shepherd. I don't want to be known as a sheep. I want to be known as something a bit more like, like a lion or a bald eagle, something like that. I don't want to be known as a sheep. But he, he looked at this and he saw that they had, he had deep compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. They needed something. He, he, he was doing this and he was... He was sharing with them and he was talking to them. But the crowd, they came in with this attitude about, what can I get from him? What can, what can Jesus do for me? They came in with that attitude. And friends, there is a danger if we come to Jesus with that attitude. Uh, Mark chapter 6 was when it talked about uh, that they, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So we've looked at the crowd. Now we're going to look at the two disciples that are in this story. That's Philip and Andrew. Now, if we're honest, the circumstances that were here were impossible. How do you fill a whole stadium? Think of the stadium, 20,000 people. How do we fill that with just one, boy, one small boy's his, his lunch? His lunch that he had. The, the meal that he had, the two fish and the, and the five loaves of bread was a normal lunch for the time. It, 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 even then, it was, they said it was pickled fish, small pieces of fish, like two small fish, like sardines. And I think it was more like crackers, not big loaves of bread. It was like five crackers. And, and I've got my son's lunchbox here. And I've actually packed it with, with two Viennas and, and five tater tots. It's like a typical meal, right? So how do we go from, from that to feeding everyone? Now, the disciples, now, Jesus was asking the disciples, let's go into it. Now, these, he was doing this to test them, to build their faith. You know, if we look at, at, at verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, he said, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked us only to test him, for he already knew what he had in mind. Don't you just chuckle? He's asking one of those impossible questions. Like, I, I don't really know how to answer that question. I don't know if you've ever had that with your spouse, if they ask you a question. Um, I don't really know how to answer that question. That, that's, that's what he's doing. He's asking, he's asking like a, a, a question to Philip. How does Philip respond? He's testing him in this. He's, he, he knows what he's going to do, but he's testing him. He's trying to build his faith in that. Now it says there, Philip said, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Just a small bite. It's gonna, he, in John's account, it says it's, it's going to cost 200 denera. Denera was one day's wages if you were a worker or a, or a soldier. And so that's like five, six, seven, eight months wages. He's going, the impossibility of this miracle. Think about it. Even if they had the money, where are they going to buy the bread? They're in the rural part. It's not like there's Uber Eats that can just come on, you order, and, and there's just 200 loaves of bread. No, there's, they, they, they keep reminding us of the impossibility with this miracle, the size, the scale of this miracle. We, even if we had that amount of money, where are we going to find it? How are we going to do this? And so Philip is looking at this going, well, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. He's going, even if we had enough, it's not going to work. I want to remind you that God is in control. God is in control of the situation. Now, he's asking, it's not because he wanted a solution from Philip. He wanted him to be part of and build with faith with him. Now, none of what was transpiring in this, none of it caught Jesus on God, off God. Jesus wasn't standing there going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. What am I going to do with all these people? But there's no food here. There's no drive-through. I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I? No. Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. It says that he knew exactly what he was going to do, but he was inviting Philip to be part of it. He was trying to build up his faith to be part of it. But Philip was focused on the size of the problem. He was focused on the size. Look how big. Even if we had enough money, it's going to take too much 
Even if we had all the money that we needed, it's, it's impossible. We, we can't do that. We can't feed them all. He's looking at the size, the, the, the bigness of, this, of the scale of the, 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 what's in front of them, feeding all these people. It's going to take too much. So he's focused on the size of the problem. But then on the other hand, you've got Andrew. And in verse 8, it says, Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, Here is a, a boy with five small uh, barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go with so many? And so I can kind of picture the scene. That he's healing people. He's sharing the, the gospel with people. He's talking to people. And, and it gets to a time where he's really asking them, Let, go out and have a look and see what we can find to feed the people. See what people have to, to bring to us. And so we can share it amongst all of us. It's a reasonable request. And so Philip goes out. And the only thing he manages to find is one, is, is one boy's lunch that he bought. He, he, either... There's two ways to look at it. Either he was the only one prepared, he was the only one willing to give it, which we're going to unpack a bit later. Or secondly, the others just didn't want to give their lunch away. You know, if someone comes and asks you for something and you don't really want to give it away, you say, no, I'm fine, thank you. No, 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 please don't. Don't ask me again. It's a bit awkward. My food's here, but it's for me. It's not, I'm not handing my food over. So out of all the people that he spoke to, maybe he spoke to everyone. They were there for a couple hours, you know, healing, speaking. And the only thing he found was just one lunchbox, really. And so Philip comes with a different attitude. Philip comes and says, well, I've got something, but it's not a lot. He's not focused on the size of the problem. He's focused on what he's got. He says, well, I've got something, but it's, it's not a lot. So I, I don't know how we're going to begin with this because it's, it's clearly not enough. But I want to tell you that Jesus doesn't give up on people, on people. He doesn't give up on people. Now, the fate of Christianity rested on the soldiers of the disciples. Now, Jesus was trying to test their faith, build their faith so that when he's gone, that the Holy Spirit can come in and really help them to advance the kingdom, to really reach more people, to be bold to, to proclaim. So he's trying to build them up in this. And so, you know, he's trying to test them, trying to build their faith in this. But, but what do they do? They keep frustrating him. Now, Jesus isn't like, right, that's three strikes, you're out. Uh, I'm kicking you out of the group. I'm defriending you. You, you. You're gone, right? I can get someone better. Let me get someone who's got more faith. Let me get someone who can think a bit more about trusting me. Now, remember, this isn't the first miracle he's done. They spend lots of time with him. Miracle after miracle, healing after healing. And they've, they've seen all this. And it gets to this stage. They're like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do here, Jesus, because it's a big problem. The scale of it is too big. But yet, Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't, um, he, he doesn't let them just wander off. He doesn't shout at them for their lack of faith. He's trying to invite them to be part of it. I want to ask you a question. Did he need the fish and the loaves and the disciples' help to perform this miracle? No. He didn't. He didn't need the disciples' help. He could have fed the, the people, I'm sure, without. I mean, Jesus has created anything. He could have fed them without. the. But he, he invites us to be part of it. He invites us to the table. He invites us. Come. Come hang with me. Come spend time with me. He's not like, fine, I'm going to do it alone. I'm not going to invite. No, you guys keep, you, you keep, you know, disappointing me. I, I keep trying to build your faith, but, but no, I, I'm going to go my own way now. I don't need you. No, he, Jesus invites us to be part of it. I love it. Now, the disciples were part of it. If you, if you read the story in the other, the other gospel, they give, him, they give him a full loaf to Jesus. Now, Jesus breaks it in half. And hands it to the disciples. And the disciples subsequently do that. And it keeps coming. And it, there's just more and more. And, and so they must be thinking, hang on. If I hand this over, that's it. I gave you one full piece and I only got half back. And, and now that's the end of the... He invites them to be part of it. They handed the stuff, the, 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 the small lunchbox of food that they had. They handed it over to Jesus. Jesus gave thanks with it. Handed it back. And it just getting multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It. And he invited the disciples to be part of the solution, to be part of the blessing to the people. It went through their hands. He invites us to be part of it. Isn't that amazing, friends? He invites us to be part of the miracle of what he's doing for the kingdom in the body of Christ. He invites us to be part of it. Now, we might at this, at this stage, we might sit at the table as if we think of the disciples. We might sit here and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it's a bit comfortable. Not, I don't want to be too comfortable, but we might sit here and go, oh, the problem, it seems too big. It seems too big. Where do we even begin? The problem's too big. Oh, this is all I have. This is everything I've got. One small lunchbox. Look at how many people we have to feed. Imagine going to the stadium 
Amelia Stadium with just a lunchbox and seeing all the people, looking how hungry they are. And you're thinking, no, it's too big. At the same time, we might sit here and go, well, we might disappoint. What's the point of even spending time with Jesus? Because I'm going to disappoint him. But Jesus invites. Remember, after this, the disciples keep, after this, the, when, when it was the storm and they wake Jesus up, don't you care that we're going to live? Peter walks on water with them and they try, it's, it's a keep. He keeps trying to build their faith because Jesus knows what they can do when the Holy Spirit is on them and, they, and he trusts him. Then we can see what they are capable of when the Holy Spirit works in them. But at the time, he's trying to build their faith so they can get to that stage where they trust him implicitly. They trust him. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to, to have a seat at the table. And so maybe we come with this attitude and we're going, well, I don't know what I can give. This is all I have. Now, if you think of a maths, a maths equation, we say uh, two fish and five loaves equals not enough. It's, it's not enough. But if you say two fish plus five loaves plus Jesus, more than enough, more than enough. You know what I love about the story? I love the fact, two things I love is one, is, is that after the story, it says the disciples collected baskets of all the, the, the leftover, every, and there was 12 baskets full at the end. I believe that was for the disciples. Each one of them got a basket. There were 12 disciples. Don't you love that? Even though we, they, we, we pour out and we do so much, he's filling us right back in. This must have been the best meal these people had ever had. Think about it. This was created out of m- not much. But yet they sat there. You know, like when you have a good meal, like think of Thanksgiving or think of Christmas Day. You have a good meal and you eat. It says here that they ate, um, like they ate until they were full. You know, like when your belly's full after a big meal and you're thinking, oh, I, I can't fit anything else in there. That is the meal that these people just had. What an amazing meal it was. This was probably the best, the best fish that they've ever had, the best loaves that they've ever had. You know, I've got Viennas and tater tots. This is probably the best Viennas and tater tots in the world that they've ever had. They, they're thinking there, wow, I've, this is a good meal. And that's the meal that Jesus is inviting us to. But sometimes we come with this attitude as a, as a disciples. Well, I don't know. The problem seems too big. You know, how do I do? What do I do? I, I, don't, know what I, can, I don't know what I can give back. Then we're going to look at it from the boy's perspective. Now, when I first thought of this, this message a few months ago, my original title for this message, instead of let's go, I was going to call it following Jesus is going to cost you everything. And I thought, that's a bit deep for the 1st of Jan. That, that's a bit, a bit too much. So I thought, let's ease into it. Maybe that's more of an Easter message or middle of the year. Following Jesus is going to cost you everything. I love this story because when we think of the story, let's be honest. We think of the crowd. We think of the disciples. We even think of the fish and the loaves. We kind of neglect this seemingly insignificant character, this boy. We forget about him. We, we kind of focus on everything else, but we, 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 we neglect this, this boy that just had to hand over this meal and, and what a wonderful thing could happen from it. And so I want to see what this boy does now. We, we hear about all these different things, right? But following Jesus is going to cost you everything. Now, the theme of this miracle is multiplication. God is about multiplication. He's about multiplication. The boy's probably sitting there with his lunch. When, when, when Philip came to ask him, he's probably thinking, and he's, he's looking at this meal that he's got, and he's thinking, what difference can this make? What difference can my meal make? There's so many people here. This is all I've got. What difference can it make? Well, if I hand it over, will I get it back? Will they even accept it? Maybe they're looking for something where someone's got a lot more food. Will they even accept it? Will I be turned away? They're asking for lunch. What if I give this to them and they go, no, it's not enough. You keep it for yourself. He's probably thinking that. But God's about multiplication. He was thinking, how can my meal, which is so small, impact so many? God is about multiplication. That's God's, God is about multiplication. We've come here to multiply church experience into another, into another area, into Tampa, into West Chase, into Oldsmar. We've come to start to multiply. Isn't that amazing? And so God is about multiplication. He's about multiplication to build his kingdom. That's why we're here. We're here to love God, to love his people, and to build his kingdom. That is why we've come here. But now multiplication often requires trust. It requires trust. Now, the boy had to release the food that he's got. He had to release it. He had to hand it over. You know, he, he didn't hand it over and try to hold some back. And, well, if you can maybe take one fish and three loaves, I can keep the rest. He, he had to hand it over. You know, like when you want to hand something over, but you don't want you kind of hold it back a bit. Like the boy had to hand it over. So it required trust. He had to settle in his mind that that, that food was not his to hold. 
that it was, he was handed over to Jesus. Now, I want to ask you, do you think the boy was hungry? Possibly. He was possibly hungry. We, we know that he, you know, he prepared or the family prepared the food for him, so he was organized, which is awesome. He was prepared, which is awesome, but he was probably hungry. And so he's thinking, well, I'm hungry, and I've got this food, but okay, well, let me hand it over. Did he have doubts that his food could be helpful? Now, remember, we read in the story, we can read, see the whole story. But at the time, when he's got his lunchbox there and he's handed it over, he doesn't know how the story's going to end. He may be thinking, well, Jesus and the disciples can eat it, but no one else is going to be. We obviously know what happened, the, the great miracle. But they don't know it yet. And so he doesn't have that frame of reference. But he, he's thinking, will it be helpful? No, well, maybe, maybe not. Will my needs be met if I hand this over? But he, rele he released the food. Nonetheless, he released it. He says, okay, you can have it. Why would we release the, the possessions that we have? Why, why would we release that? Well, it's trust. It's trust. We, we trust that God will use the resources that we have, that we give to him for his purposes. And at the same time, we trust him to take care of our needs. We trust him. We hand stuff over to him and we say, Lord, your will be done with this. At the same time, supply my needs. Right? And so this boy with this meal, he saw this, but it took an act of trust to hand it over to Jesus and say, okay, you, you hand it. Now, it's hard to trust sometimes. Let's be honest. It's hard to trust sometimes. When we, when we got on the flight to Tampa and we got here and we got our, our, our two bags each and, and we get through customs and the, and the person there is, is kind of quizzing us why we are here and then he hears that we're here for a while. He says, we'll go to that spare room on the side. They're going to interrogate you a bit more. True story. It's hard to trust sometimes. In the highs and the lows of life, you know, those moments that I mentioned, it's, it's hard to trust sometimes. And at the same time, we, you think, well, Lord, I'm doing your work. Shouldn't it be easy? Uh, it's, it's gonna be, it should be easy to do your work. I thought everything's just going to happen like smoothly now. But it's hard to trust sometimes. But we do. We release it. We release our stuff. We hand it over to what he's doing. And so it requires trust, multiplication. But multiplication also requires sacrifice. The boy made a, a, a great sacrifice. The same as the widow who, take, who handed over the two coins that she had in the temple. Um, the boy gave all that, he need, all that he had in his possession. He gave it all. He didn't give some of it. He didn't keep some behind, tuck it in his, in his pocket and be like, okay, that's all I have. He, didn't keep, he gave all of it away, everything he had. It was probably a painful decision that he made, right? Maybe not uh, physically, maybe he was hungry, I don't know, maybe emotionally, but he was comfortable. He had food, he had sustenance. Now he's uncomfortable, he's got no sustenance. So he's, it was a painful decision, it requires sacrifice. But the wonderful thing about sacrifice is sacrifice drives out comfort. It drives out comfort, doesn't it, friends? It drives it out, right? And we see it through Scripture that, that sacrificial giving is, is what, what it happens in Scripture, but it, it drives out the comfort that we have. I was very comfortable in South Africa. I loved it. I didn't leave South Africa because I didn't like it. I loved South Africa. I loved Johannesburg. I loved the church we were going to. I loved the friends that we made. I loved all of that. I was comfortable. But yet God called me here to Tampa many years ago. He put on my heart, go to Tampa. Put on my heart to go. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to trust him sometimes. We hand it over. We, we give him what we do. And we, Lord, did you see what I gave you? Now can you bless me? Because look what I've just given you. If you can bless me now, because you, did you see that, Lord? Did you, did you see what I just gave you? Sometimes we do that, don't we? We want, to, we want him to notice what we've given him. It requires sacrifice. We hand it over. Lord, you do that. I've handed it over. I trust you. You're going to supply all my needs. You're going to use it for your kingdom. I trust you. It's hard sometimes. I wish it was easier sometimes to trust him, but it requires sacrifice. Why? Because sacrifice drives out comfort. And multiplication is a, is a result of God's work, not our work. It's not our work. If it was up to me, it's, it, God's, it's God's work when he multiplies. It's God's work. Now, this boy, he handed over his meal. It was a, a, an act of trust and sacrifice, but the boy didn't feed the 5,000. The disciples didn't feed the 5,000. Who fed the 5,000? Jesus. He invited the disciples and the boy to be part of it, to be participants in this miracle. He invited it, but Jesus fed them. Out of this one meal, he fed them. I love it. It's been amazing to see how God's been working as we've been here. I've loved it. I remember people would say, yeah, Warren, people will, people will come. And we said, well, where? When we start this launch team, where are these people going to come? Oh, they'll just come. But from where? Can I look for them somewhere? Where are they going to come from? But it's amazing to see how God's been adding to our team. It's been such a privilege to see how God's been. He invites us to be part of the miracle of building his church. 
He invites us to be part of it. And it's so exciting for me to see what he's been doing, the, the miracles that he's done along the way, the, the, what happens when you, when you trust him. Even with those sacrifices, it's amazing to see what happens when you sacrifice, when you, when you get out of your comfort zone and you trust him. It's amazing to see what God does because it's out of God's work. It's not our work. Multiplication is always going to be out of his work. It's amazing to see. Now, if we look at scripture, we see that a lot of the scripture that we read is really Jesus does, he does a lot of it around the, around the table with people, around meals that he's got with people. He's sharing a meal with them. He's hanging out with them. Sometimes most of his, his uh, most quoted scripture is, is him sharing a meal with people. And he shares a meal with them and he's talking to them. And people thought he was a bit crazy because he was very inclusive. He wasn't exclusive. He was having parties with everyone. You remember when he, when, when he went to the tax collector's house, he's hanging out with those people there and he's, he's spending time with, with, with every, everyone that he, can, that he can spend time with. He's spending time with them. The religious leaders at the time would, would, uh, would whisper behind his back and said he's a friend of sinners. And he thought that would offend him. And he, like Jesus like, said, yeah, I am. I'm a friend of sinners. I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to spend time with them. But he, he didn't think it was a, an insult. He thought it was, he wore that proudly. He's like, yes, I am. I've come for the outcast. I've come for the sinners. I've come to spend time with these people. The great thing about spending time around a dinner table is that when strangers get together, it says in the, in the, in the, in the, one, um, the one version of this, it says that out of the 5,000, he got them to, to sit in groups of 50 and 100. And so they were together. These groups of 50, these groups of 100, they're sharing a meal together. Strangers become friends around the dinner table. We hang out. We chat to each other. We, we explore. And that's what Jesus is, is wanting us to do, is to spend time with him at the table. He's invited you. And he's invited me around the dinner table. Now, the name of Jesus has been used to harm and divide. Oh, but, but Jesus isn't inclusive. He's exclusive. No, no. He is radically inclusive. He's radically inclusive. He wants to spend time with you. He's inviting you to the table. Isn't that, doesn't that just oh, make you feel good? I'm like, yes, I, I am invited. I am invited. I want to read what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. We seated, friends. We seated with him. Isn't that great? I didn't have to earn the seat. I didn't have to try and fight my way to be included. And that's what we often do in the worldly sense is we fight to be included. I want to be successful. I, I want to give a reason why I belong at the table. I'm going to fight my way to the table. So I'm going to serve as much as I can. I'm going to make as much money as I can. I'm going to sit at the table with the, with the high achievers, with the people that are successful. I'm going, to, I'm going to do all of that. Even in ministry, sometimes we do that. We, we have, think we have, to earn our, we have to earn our way to this table. We have to fight our way, but, but we're seated. We're seated at the table with them. Suddenly, all that, what we've struggled for, that belonging, the recognition, the security, we've already got in him. In Jesus, we've got that. We don't have to fight our way for the table. We don't have to earn our way here. So we don't have to chase it. He gives it to us. And the great thing is, is there's a table set here for you, a, ta a, a seat here ready for you. It's reserved for you. And it's reserved for me. This is my seat and, and that can be your seat. And this is my seat and, and it's reserved for me. And it's an open invitation because Jesus always is going to invite us to have a seat with him at the table. And so we might go, well, we can't. I can't go to that table. Warren, I, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've gone through. I, I don't deserve a table. I don't deserve a seat at the table with Jesus. I don't. That's what you might think. That's all right. You know, I don't deserve my seat either. I don't. But Jesus gives it to us freely, friends. He died on the cross. He, he died the sin that you and me deserve to have a seat at the table with him, to enjoy company with him. Now suddenly if we sit here, now suddenly it's okay, it's reserved for me. That's great. But the even better thing than just being here is that we do this together. Isn't that even better? We do this together as a body of Christ. Remember the, the, the scrum analogy at the beginning? We do this together as a team. I love it. I love the fact that we get to do this together. I'm not here alone. I'm here with all of you. I'm here with everyone. I'm here, yes. And maybe some people haven't got, haven't got 
realize that, they, that a seat has been reserved for them because no one will take my seat. And you know what the cool thing is? All the seats are the same. There's no, there's no better seats. There's no worse seats. There's no seats with better view or whatever. They're all the same seats. And, we, and, our ta- and our seat is reserved just for me and yours just for you. I love it. But we do this as a team. We do this as a team. We get to, we get to be part of this as a team. I love that. Now, I want you to think about 2023. Now, I want you to be successful. I want to be successful. Don't we all want to be successful? But more than that, you know what my prayer is for that? More than being successful, I want you to be significant. I want you to be significant. Success is about me. It's what can I get out of it. It's instant gratification. Significance, oh, that's about others. Right? That's about about others. That's about generations. Significance. Wow, friends, now we're, talking the right, we're asking the right questions. If we want to talk about significance, that's what Jesus wants from us. Success is, oh, I'm going to hold on to just what I can hold on to. But significance. Maybe some of us are just in survival mode. Okay, Warren, I'm just in survival mode. Okay, well, then I'll pray for you. I want you to go from survival to significance. That's what I want. The boy, when he handed over his lunch meal, it was significant. We know the story, this beautiful miracle that Jesus did because he handed it over. He knew it wasn't about him, but he was invited to be part of this miracle. My, my pastor that we, that we were part of in Johannesburg, he would always say, he would say, watch my God. Watch my God. Watch, watch my God. Watch what my God can do with just with two fish and five graham crackers. Something small, something insignificant. Watch what my God can do. Isn't that amazing? We get to do this together, to do something significant together. And the, and the great thing is, there's a table here, and we're creating a table with us in, in West Chase, in that area, and it's been amazing to see how the kingdom just advances when you invite people to be part of you at the table. I love it, that Jesus wants to, to spend time with us at the table. That is my hope for you, for significance. Now, I don't know if it's the older you get, but it seems like time goes by quicker the older you get. It's, it's, it's already beginning of the year. Before we know it, I've already started seeing Valentine's things at the shops. It's crazy. Then it's, it's Valentine's Day. Then it's Easter. And then it's, it's the summer break, which is the longest holiday known to man in the history of all mankind. It's, a, it's so long. And then just after that, then we, we're on the way down already. Then it's Thanksgiving and it's all the rest. And then we're back here again. But how did that happen? I know that this year is going to go by quickly. I want you and me to do something that's significant. You know that the 2022 was a significant for me and my family. It was massive. It was significant because we decided this is where my, my life is going. This is what I can do. But Lord, you've got something so much more greater for us. We can do so much more for you and your kingdom if we go here. And so when we got here, yes, it's going to be highs and lows in it. But it's amazing to see when, when God invites you to be part of what he's doing, to be part of, of just revival. You know, revival starts in here. When we, when we come with this attitude about I want to do something significant for God. I want to be part of, of, of the table. I want to be invited to the table. I want to spend time with Him. Then we can do something significant. Then that is when revival happens because it starts in here. Our attitude towards Him starts in here. We, we, we drive, it drives our comfort. We learn to trust Him. We hand things over to Him and we trust Him. And that is my hope for you uh, this year. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. I thank you that that you're always with us. I thank you, Jesus, that you're always inviting us to the table. I thank you that that no matter what we've done, no matter our past, no matter all the mistakes that we've made, even last last year, even everything that we've done, Lord, you, you, you still never stop inviting us at the table. You still want to invite us. Our reserved seat is for us. And my, and my prayer is those watching will feel that invitation. And maybe they've never had that invitation before. My prayer right now, they will just feel your love, that you are so for them, that you want them to, be, to spend time with you at the table. Friends, that is my hope for you. My hope is that you'll never see that, that no matter what you've done, it doesn't, you don't earn your way to the table. He gives it to you freely. And that is my hope. And Lord, I just pray that you be with everyone that watches this message, that you will bless them. But more than that, that you will help us to see, to do something significant for you, to build your kingdom, to make much of you, because it's all for you and your kingdom. We pray this in your name, Father. Amen.
Amen. Thanks very much. Cheers. Before our usher team comes forward to receive our tithes and offerings and response cards, here's a few important things happening with our CE family. Do you have a love for people and a desire to help them grow closer to Jesus? If so, leading a life group may be a perfect ministry opportunity for you. When you invest in people by bringing a group together, you give others the gift of Christian community. We would love to work with you to establish a new CE Life Group where you will get a front row seat to see all that God can do through you. If you would like to learn more about leading a life group, write LEAD on your response card and drop it in the bucket as it passes by. As our ushers come forward to collect our response cards and receive our tithes and offerings, many people make New Year's resolutions. But more importantly, we have to resolve to put God first in all we do. One way that we can do that is through putting Him first in our budget through tithing back to God what He has already given to us. God can do more through what we have when we place it in His hands first. One of the easiest ways to give of our tithes and offerings is by establishing recurring giving online or on the CE app. As we are faithful to God with our finances, his kingdom is multiplied and lives are changed. Thank you for being on mission with us to help more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ. Church Experience.tv slash connect or scan the QR code on the screen. 
I personally love to stay connected by staying up to date on the CE social media, Instagram, Facebook, website, or app. It's been great to share another special service with our CE family. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Have a great week.